your views, your news, your Limerick Today with Joe Nash on Live 95. Now, we, we wanted to kind of follow up on this and, you know, last week with everything that was happening and the passing of uh, Vicky Phelan, um, it was in people's minds, but clearly not the right time to talk about it. But why is there an unwillingness on the part of uh, some healthcare providers um, to accept when mistakes are made or to apologise uh, when a case is proven? It does seem that that unwillingness can exist and it was highlighted by the cervical campaigner Vicky Phelan. She uncovered a scandal and had to pursue things legally at a time when she also had to focus hugely on her health because she was of course terminally ill. Well we're joined this morning by Janet Keane from Callan Tansy Solicitors here in Limerick and you're welcome. Good morning to you. How are you doing? Good morning Jane. Um So I, I think it's fair to say that what's happened over the last few years and particularly Vicky Phelan's campaign, has had a profound impact. And you've probably found that, have you, from people coming into you even as clients? Absolutely, Joe. The It's, it's hard to summarise the impact of the work undertaken by Vicky. She was a, an exceptional woman in many respects. From our perspective, what we have seen, and the number one reason that people knock on our door, is because they are completely and utterly in the dark when it comes to any harm that has been occasioned to them in a healthcare setting. They don't come for any cash bonanza that might be perceived. They want answers to questions in relation to harm occasioned to them or to a loved one. And it is simply a closed door that they often receive in relation to trying to get this information. Like you have said, an apology, an admission first, an apology after is a very rare thing from a doctor or a hospital setting. Even in But it is extraordinary to hear you say that. that I mean, we would have assumed maybe that what has happened over the last decade in Ireland would have shifted the approach. It's a fair assumption, Joe, but it's a wrong assumption, unfortunately. As Vicky found out, in 2018, in the aftermath of her court case, the attempts over the years to introduce a mandatory uh, duty of candour or open disclosure, as it's referred, have been lobbied heavily against by the medical defence industry in favour of what's currently in place, which is a voluntary open disclosure, which we say in the vast majority of cases in, is marked in the breach rather than the observance. I think the fear among the medical defence industry is that it would lead or would have led to a slew of lawsuits. However, in countries where mandatory open disclosure is in place, the opposite is in fact the case. Really, that's the evidence. Absolutely. Lawsuits have reduced. Patients have got their answers, which is of huge comfort and relief to them. And in cases in where which have settled, they have settled at reduced cost and in a far quicker time frame. So that that is the context in which we are seeking, and in particular Vicky, who led the fight for a mandatory open disclosure. Didn't Taoiseach Michael Martin say last week that he's determined, did he say by the end of the year, to have the mandatory open disclosure legislation finally passed and signed? Is it at stage four or five? It's, it's at stage four or five before the doll. This fight began, I, I would say, Joe, in around 2008. In 2013, the requirement for voluntary open disclosure was in place. Vicky took on the baton in 2018 after we all are aware of of the sequence of events when an audit which took place in 2014 uh, for her in relation to her case and 221 other women was not reported to them in relation to previous misread smears. 
The patient safety bill was drafted in 2019. As you say, that is at the fourth stage of five before the doll. The Taoiseach in the immediate aftermath of Vicky's passing last week did say that the matter would be concluded. He didn't go into the specifics of that. What we hope is that the bill... There are amendments currently being drafted. We certainly hope that this won't dilute what we feel is a wide-ranging bill in its current format. Uh, We do know that there is lobbying currently going on still from the medical defence industry on the current wrangling in relation to what is a notifiable incident of harm. We hope the the, uh, the bill isn't diluted down, but it remains to be seen. But you're quite right, that is what the Taoiseach pledged in relation to the timeline. Yeah, we're talking to Janet Keane from Callan Tansy Solicitors here in Limerick. Uh, now, a couple of times you've used the expression uh, the medical defence industry. Are you separating that from an individual doctor's willingness to hold their hands up when a mistake has been made? N- not necessarily. What I would emphasise, however, this isn't a browbeating exercise against doctors or hospitals or nurses who we will all owe a huge debt of gratitude to at some point in our lives. We know all too well that they are absolutely stretched and under immense pressure at the moment. There has been a swelling of middle management in the HSE in the last 10 years with the opposite effect for recruitment of nurses and doctors. So this is not, as I say, overt criticism in relation to them. But what we do say is that this has to be a patient-centred approach. Vicky didn't fight a finger-pointing exercise. She was very clear in relation to what she wanted. She was a patient advocate, yes, of women, but of all patients, men, women and children. And bear in mind, Joe, a lot of the time, people won't know that harm has been occasioned to them. They, because the symptoms won't have manifested, they won't have felt the effect of that harm. Where is that patient left in relation to a system where there isn't, where a doctor isn't mandated to come and say, yes, this incident has occurred? Right. Because obviously medical people need defence insurance. They can't operate without it. And the, the risk to them is very significant from a career and financial point of view uh, too. Is that not the case? And they can be horrendously expensive. Medical cases can be expensive. No, not in cases, but the insurance itself these days. Professional indemnity insurance, yes, you're quite right. Individual doctors, uh, certainly on a private basis, are are indemnified by private insurance companies. In addition, public hospitals, public doctors in public hospitals are indemnified on by the state claims agency and specifically the clinical indemnity scheme. In relation to apologies, though, and admissions, Joe, what I would say is that, and an awful lot of patients tell me this, I was told only last week. At a local level, when a patient complains to a doctor or brings up, even challenges a treatment issue or a diagnosis issue, they can be invited in, spoken to by the doctor or the hospital. And at that level, apologies are sometimes offered, admissions are sometimes made. But it is when the state claims agency or the the case escalates, the matter escalates, the state claims agency becomes involved, the shutters come down. Those apologies, those admissions are never referenced again. And the... So is it a money question at that point then? I believe in terms of the defence industry, that is a primary focus, is is the cost involved. Because people can understand in certain circumstances that somebody may need a significant financial settlement because of future 
treatment, because of having to take care of families, you know, if the error has led to the, uh, a further medical issue. Uh, absolutely, there's there's a there's a gamut of of potential care claims that 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 will ensue. If you even look, I think the lasting legacy of Vicky Phelan, one of the many legacies that she left behind, will be seen when the children of the the women who lost their lives in relation to the cervical check scandal, when they go to college, when they prosper in whatever field they choose to follow. Uh, it will only then that we will really see the fight that Vicky fought in not signing that non-disclosure agreement to allow those women f- make the fight and fight for the opportunity for financial security for their children and their families. We're uh, talking to Janet Keane from Callan Tansy Solicitors in um, Limerick. And just to mention, you know, because a, a big part of what's happened here, and I know that a lot of people underlined in uh, tributes to um, Vicky last week, guests uh, of this show, that one of the things that she had always pushed for is that people would go for screening you know, the screening programmes have a value. I mean, the Irish Times reported last week that the HSC are warning of negative consequences to the state's cancer screening services in light of disclosure laws. The concern centre around interval cancers, as they're known, a cancer detected after a screening test, which was interpreted as normal, and interval cancers occur within every screening programme, the HSC says, and they're unavoidable. For example, in breast cancer screening, approximately two cases of interval cancers will occur in every thousand women screened, and the Minister of Health, Stephen Donnelly, is reported as saying that the incidence of interval cancers, including past occurrences, should be disclosed to patients under this new legislation, Janet, that you and I are, are talking about. And this is despite these cancers not fitting neatly under the definition of patient safety incidents. And HSE officials voice concerns about interval cancers being presented as patient safety incidents, when in reality, they say these cancers are expected occurrence in screening programmes themselves. In re- specifically in relation to interval cancers. And like I said, that is, I think, the main issue that is this going to be the subject of any proposed amendments in relation to the patient safety bill. And I, I read I read that article and I think we have to hold fire in relation to what is going to be a notifiable incident, uh, specifically in relation to interval cancers. Vicky was a champion for screening services and despite the wrong that it was occasioned to her, she championed for women to continue those screening services. Another issue is... Obviously- See, my understanding is that if somebody develops cervical cancer, that part of the process is to then go back and look at their smear tests. And it's at that point, with the knowledge that they have subsequently developed cancer, that they may identify something that was missed in the initial analysis. Yeah, and absolutely, in the scally... But that isn't necessarily... The point I'm trying to make is, you know, the argument can be that that was not negligence as, as such. The mandatory disclosure isn't a, a finger-pointing exercise and it's not there to determine negligence. It is an information-gathering exercise and it's giving bodily autonomy to patients to actually accept the information, digest the information, seek the necessary advice, legal or otherwise, uh, in order to assess whether there was negligence there. But give the patients the right in the first place to access the information over their own bodily integrity. That is what the call has been. So even in these situations, you would want to see it fall under the mandatory disclosure law? Absolutely. We concur with what 
Minister Donnelly has said is that we believe that does defi- that does fall within the remit of a notifiable incident. Okay. I mean, because I remember having um, an expert in uh, Dr. Beatrice Neufeld of the Personal Medical Clinic in Castle Troy. And as part of her work in Germany, she actually worked in one of these labs. Mm -hmm. And she explained to us that the analysis, she did it, she'd actually undertaken it herself, that the analysis is such that there is, unfortunately, a degree of error that is genuine and human and not related to um, anything deliberate, as it were, or negligent. Well, the Patient Safety Bill provides for mandatory disclosure of any serious patient safety incident that is any unintended or unanticipated injury. We absolutely accept that the screening process is fallible. I think we know that we knew that ever before, perhaps, um, Vicky's case came to light. See, I wonder about that. I think a lot of women, and, and this goes back to your central point, may not have realised that there was a built-in um, error rate, that there, 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 was a, there was an element of missed positives, as it were. Perhaps, as we know now, screening is not a diagnostic tool. And one of the key recommendations of the Scali report was a collaborative process between uh, patients and in particular the 221 plus uh, cervical group that Vicky helped to found and a report was generated in February 2022 where they asked specifically for in relation to disclosure meetings but also communication with hospital for it to be clear, concise and absent of clinical language that is extremely hard to interpret for a lay person. Also for, We'll just go back one second yes. then. So you just said there screening is not diagnosis. Screening is not a diagnostic tool. It's a preventative measure. Right. Very important to point that out, though. Absolutely. Because, again, I do think that there is a, a bit of confusion still out there around that. Perhaps, and perhaps there needs to be more inform- information events to, to, to inform patients of that. Um, but a, a, an o- So it's an very open- important, I don't want to confuse the message at all, it's very important women should undertake it but it's, it's part of an overall approach to women's health. Ab- absolutely, it's part of an overall approach. And I think uh, in particular, over and above screening, if you receive uh, an, a clear smear test or a HPV test is, that is now in place and you develop symptoms, you can't, you, you would be urged not to place reliance uh, on the clear smear that you received, but to present to your GP in relation to any symptoms that you right. are so, concerned about. Shannon, with your legal hat on then, yes. what would be the likely outcome in a situation of open disclosure like this, where it was found based on the, being provided to the person in question through or a solicitor or whatever, that this situation had arisen in terms of screening, but that there wasn't any negligence. It was a mistake. Would would an apology be accept, uh, expected in that situation? Would there be a financial settlement element in that situation it, or not? Effectively, it would work on a case-by-case basis and every individual is different and the impact it has on their lives is different. Uh, what we would say is that for a victim or a potential victim of harm, 
to undertake this task on their own is nigh on impossible. If I could give you a brief illustration of a patient, an inpatient, a person as an inpatient for one month in a hospital. If I seek records on their behalf, on the first instance, I'm probably waiting about six to seven months to receive those records. When I do receive them, they're in a deranged date order. They are, they're duplicates. There are microbiology results intermingled with radiology reporting, clinical notes that are handwritten and illegible. It is a nigh on impossible task for a layperson to navigate those to establish if harm has been occasioned to them and thereafter to instruct a solicitor because of the information they feel they have gathered. What we would say is arm yourself if you don't have the physical strength, if you don't have the mental strength because of what you have gone through. Make sure that someone is your voice. If that's a family member, that's fine. If it's a a legal advocate that you have faith in, all, all the better in order to assess whether there is a launch pad there, whether there is anything there. And as I say, Joe, often it is the case that a patient will come to a solicitor, they will seek the records, they will get answers, and that will be of immense comfort to them. Okay. Well, listen, thank you very much for throwing um, a lot of light on it this morning. I think a very helpful uh, discussion. And, and again, you know, a discussion we probably never have had on this show if it weren't for Vicky Phelan and, and her legacy, as we were talking about last week. And I should just mention that Vicky's family have invited members of the public to her native Moon Coin in County Kilkenny. This is on Sunday for a celebration of her life, as they put it, in the parish church there. Family said they were mindful of giving all those who loved Vicky an opportunity to pay their respects following her passing. And with this in mind, uh, they invite um, everybody really to her uh, native moon coin on Sunday, the 27th of November at 1pm. And they will do their best, they say, to honour Vicky's wish. And as the numbers in the church itself are limited, there will be a live stream available on the day and details of which will be posted later in the week, along with further updates on the event itself. And obviously here at Live 95, she was uh, an adopted daughter of Limerick and uh, we will be uh, reminding you of that again. And thank you, Janet Keane from Callan Tansy Solicitors for coming in this morning. Much appreciated. Thank you, Joe. Your views, your news, your Limerick Today with Joe Nett on Live 95.